Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Patient Convert Podcast. It's your co-host, Justin Knott. It'll just be me for a little while as Kelly and I just welcomed our first baby, little Adeline. So Kelly's on maternity leave until the new year. So really excited about doing a couple episodes. And to kind of get that started over the holidays, we are bringing Nick Layupa back on. He is our head of digital advertising. If you've had a chance to listen to the podcast, it's kind of since the beginning, we did an episode early on about the common mistakes that people make trying to launch digital ads, what can end up either causing them to be ineffective or not doing if they're working or not. So definitely go back and listen to that. But Nick, I'm really excited about having you on again and, and talking today about kind of finding your success uh, on the social advertising side specifically and how, what kind of giving people insight about what we're doing to help them effectively reach patients. So welcome, Nick. Yeah, thank you. It's good to be back. A big congratulations to you and Kelly. A big public congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. No problem, man. It's good to be talking with you guys again. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So kind of just jumping right in, I think all the listeners out there kind of starting at the 101 is talk to me a little bit about there's so many options that are out there. So let's start kind of at the basics is what social platforms are you recommending kind of are we using that are in the healthcare space and that are really good for patients and kind of a little bit about why each of those could potentially be good options. Yeah, totally. Uh, it's a great place to start. Often we find people are, you know, overwhelmed with the amount of platforms that they can advertise on. So they either don't do anything or they do a little bit of everything. Um, and it just becomes unsuccessful because they're spread too thin. So it's definitely a good foundational piece to start with. Um, what I think generally speaking, what you want to do is, you know, think about who your patient is, think about their personality, uh, their characteristics, what they like, what they dislike, where they hang out, what their pain points are. And then you have to look at the platforms and see which one of those platforms offers the ability to target those types of characteristics. So uh, I I could not agree more. I think that the biggest mistake that people make is forcing the issue or thinking they do, but they don't really either understand who their target patient is or never truly define their patient personas. I know Nick, you're a big believer and it's kind of the first step when somebody engages with us is they've got to put down on paper who they really think their, their patients are because that cause and effect wise answers the question of where you should be advertising. Yeah. It's the unsexy part of the job. Uh, everybody just wants to, you know, last immediately and, and see their ads on, you know, YouTube or on Instagram. But, you know, if you don't do the work ahead of time, then you're going to not get the best results at the end of the day. So and talk know, to me about what should they be answering kind of about the patient persona? I mean, how specific should they be? What should that kind of look like as a step one even before choosing the platforms? Yeah, so, you know, you got your general stuff like demographic, age, gender, uh, but we like to get as targeted as possible. So really even like naming the patient. So you can answer things like uh, what their biggest struggles are, what their occupation is, what their household income is, Uh, Do they have kids? Do they, what do they enjoy doing as hobbies? All these sort of things really kind of paint a picture. And then with that information, you can look at, you know, something like Facebook and 
say you're a orthopedic practice who does a lot of sports medicine stuff, um, you can look at, you know, a golfer, for example, or a tennis player who might be dealing with golfer's elbow or tennis elbow. Uh, and you can, you know, look at maybe what types of magazines that person would be reading, what type of stores that person would visit. So you could target like the um, PGA national golf page, for example, because that would probably be somebody who, you know, is a golfer and, you know, probably would be affected or have the condition or symptoms of a golfer's elbow, for example. So really kind of getting as niche down as you can, really trying to define um, where that person hangs out, what they're interested in, all that stuff really kind of helps at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and really not, like you said, sh- shying away from the specifics and having several different ones. I mean, it's kind of a similar exercise that say an e-commerce store that sells golf equipment would go through. They may have one or two kind of a male and female, but they may also have children, kind of middle age or post-college, and then kind of the grown adult. It's the same thing for practices is, is really sitting down and saying, these are the types of patients that walk through the door, but this is we're going to have Susie over here that is our perfect makeup for somebody who more than likely would get rheumatoid arthritis, that kind of stuff. And that really will kind of lead into, so once you have that information and you've kind of created those personas, um, talk to us a little bit about kind of the platforms that are out there that we're using the most. There's a lot of others out there, but I think in healthcare, more, than, more often than not, there's kind of a few that would more than likely people would cross paths and you leverage you. Yeah, totally. Um, so, I mean, you've got your, really your bigger names, uh, Facebook and Instagram are really good for kind of defining that customer personality uh, and taking that information and going to those channels with that because they, they collect so much data on people that, you know, it's really offers a, a great advertising platform. Um, but the, the downside of it, I would say is that it's not a search network. So, people aren't on there looking for uh, an orthopedic practice, for example. They're on there just doing what you do on social media. So you really kind of have to go out and find them. uh, And that's why those personality traits are so beneficial. But, you know, Facebook and Instagram are really cheap. uh, One of the most affordable platforms to advertise on. So you also get that benefit as well. So really good for just kind of finding people as long as you can really define who your patient is. Uh, YouTube is really great because it does offer that search network-esque type of platform. So, you know, you could target people that are looking to better their golf swing, uh, to go back to our original example, and run your ads on that sort of thing. Or you can look for um, like conditional videos, so people that might be looking for videos like, why does my elbow hurt? Uh, that sort of thing. It's kind of like a search network. LinkedIn, really great, obviously, for business professionals. So anybody that, you know, kind of fits that, you know, business type of personality trait, demographic, uh, it's a great place to, to find them. Uh, what I would say with LinkedIn, though, is that it's generally the most expensive place to advertise. So not necessarily a bad thing, um, but just something to keep in mind when you're considering your budget and uh, budget's also a factor that comes into play here because you don't want to, you know, choose LinkedIn, for example, if you have a smaller budget, because you won't get the, the reach that you could potentially get on something like YouTube or, or Facebook. For sure. Th- those are really great points. And yeah, these are the ones, I mean, obviously you've got TikTok and Snapchat and 
and there's there's times and places for those. Uh, we just these are definitely the ones that usually align more often than not in the healthcare space for region patients. There's again, there's time and places for the others, other ones, but I think these are really kind of the big four that we leverage day in and day out. Thirty plus subspecialties that we worked in over the over the years, and we didn't get too far into it, and they kind of hinted at it. You want to know more kind of about the demographics that are on each of those platforms because they do shift annually. Like the rise of TikTok has pulled people away from Instagram, but Facebook was a younger audience. It surged in the older audience, which caused people to leave Facebook and move to Instagram. And then they have some of the younger audience on Instagram has migrated to TikTok. So say Instagram is a lot of the older millennial that kind of made Facebook famous originally. So if you're not sure, there's so much data that's out there by simply Googling it. If you literally just type in like Facebook demographics or demographics for social media 2020, they have so many statistics on what age groups use it the most, how much time they spend on it, on desktop versus mobile. I mean, it's got all that information. So once you get those patient personas that we were talking about earlier, you really can go just simply by starting and uh, Googling each one of those platforms and it'll tell you kind of this is going to be right in the crosshairs. There's going to be the most of this patient population that exists on this platform. And these are the interesting hobbies that they have. Excellent. So now um, we've kind of defined what's out there and kind of the 101 of starting with defining who your kind of end audience is. Let's talk, Nick, a little bit about strategy and kind of kind of the meat. What is the difference? Because we're talking so much about social today between search and then how do people define audiences? All how do you A/B test? Kind of all of those components that we are, we do day in and day out for our clients to have success. So talk to me a little bit about what is the difference really between social and search. And when I say search, typically we're talking about Google Ads. If you've heard of that, so why are they different? How are they different? And how should that affect kind of how people are going about building their advertising? Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's a really important definition to make because I don't want to say that, you know, search is easier to do. It's just kind of a different beast. But, you know, with search, people are telling you what they want. They're going into Google and they're typing in you know, orthopedic practice, or they're typing in pediatrics near me. So it's kind of essentially your job to just show up. And then it's your website's job, obviously, to get them to want to contact you. So you kind of already know they're in the funnel, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. At At some level. Right, exactly. Now, there's also the other side of the coin where you can target keywords, because that's what you do with with search ads, you target certain keywords. Um, you could also target conditional keywords. So people that are looking for, uh, you know, why is my knee hurt? That sort of thing. They would be a little bit more uh, further up the funnel, uh, need a little bit more nurturing, a little bit more uh, education before they actually purchase. So that's kind of the other side of the coin, but they're still kind of letting you know that they're in the market for what you have to offer. And that's kind of the gist of search ads. So, you know, they're a little bit easier to think about, not necessarily easier on the execution side, but easier to kind of wrap your brain around. I think on the social side of things, as you know, people aren't typing in what they're looking for. They're just on the platform interacting with their friends and family. So you kind of have to define, you know, your audience and 
who would be interested in your services, what types of characteristics they have, what personality traits they have. And then you have to put your ads in front of those types of people. So it's really a whole different ball game. With the search ads, you're not really thinking about, you know, a person's interests. You, you're just trying to show up when they're looking for your types of service. So that's really how they differ. And it's a big differentiator because uh, it really requires, yeah, it requires totally different strategies. For sure. And I think that that's lost on a lot of people. And like we were talking about earlier, they jump right to that ads execution and, and miss all of these steps in between and are presenting things that work better on search because people are already on the hunt for a solution to fix their problem. And on social, they're not. They may be even problem unaware. So you have to make them aware of the problem, educate them on that problem, and then get them get them across the finish line around search. They could simply be just looking for either the person that's the closest or has the best reviews, whatever it may be. So they're already kind of in in the funnel, as you mentioned earlier. So you mentioned kind of now that we know kind of what the difference between the two are, you talked a lot about the importance on social of finding your audience. So talk to the listeners a little bit about kind of how you go about honing in now that you've got those personas and we understand what, how social ads differ. How do you go about finding those audiences on social networks? Yeah. So, I mean, you said it, um, problem aware and solution aware is really the name of the game uh, when it comes to this sort of thing. So you know, this is, this is the stuff of marketing gurus. This one piece of the puzzle right here, uh, is it's when you think about your audiences in terms of cold, warm, and hot. So your cold audiences, people that have never heard about you, don't even know you exist. Your warm audiences have had some sort of interaction with you. They know that you're there. They've been to your website. They've seen your ad on Instagram. They've been to your social media profile. Hot audiences are people that are very close to purchasing. They just haven't done it yet. So they might've visited a certain page on your website for a certain service. They might've visited that page three or four times in the last week, uh, but they haven't, they haven't booked an appointment with you yet, or they haven't called to speak with anybody yet for whatever reason. So when you think about it in, in terms of cold, warm, and hot, it really helps you segment people in terms of where they are in their um, purchasing cycle or their patient cycle. And uh, really it comes down to how, problem aware, how solution aware that they are. So people that are people that are cold need the most sort of nurturing. They need the most education. They need to know uh, a lot more about who you are, why you do what you do, why you're the perfect practice for them than somebody who is a, who is a hot um, member. Those people just kind of need a little bit of a push over the edge to get them to book an appointment, whether that is offering them uh, testimonials uh, about you know how you help this patient solve their exact problem that sort of thing uh, really works well for your hot and warm audiences now for the hot and warm audiences uh, talk to me a little bit about where those are at as far as it is it the email addresses that are sitting right under your nose is it I know we're going to talk a little bit more about tracking in a little bit in the Facebook pixel and the different kind of pixels but Talk to me about, because that's one place that we start immediately. And you talked a little bit about how you really kind of need to market a little bit different to each one of these audiences because cold audiences are completely unaware versus hot audiences that have already spent time on your site, your social media may just need an offer or something to push them over the edge. So how can people go about finding their or leveraging their warm and hot audiences? Yeah. 
So if you've had your Facebook pixel or any other platform that you're going to advertise on, if you've had that pixel installed on your website for any length of time, uh, it will collect data in the background. So you will be able to leverage people that have been to your website in the past. So that would be, that would be perfect for your warm audiences. So you could target uh, website visitors in the warm category. You could target uh, profile page visitors. You could target people that have engaged with uh, your page in the last uh, whatever amount of time you want to define. With all of these, you can go up to 180 days back. So you can find people that have been to your website within 180 days. You've got your email list that you could upload into these platforms and send ads to those people specifically. And then you also have a bit of a hybrid between cold and warm audiences, which are called lookalike audiences. And those are built off of an existing list of data that you have. So typically it's email addresses or phone numbers. And what you do is upload that list into one of these platforms and then tell that platform to look at all of these people that are in this list. Generally, you need um, a list greater than 100. So you would tell Facebook, for example, hey, look at this list of 100 customers that I've had in the last uh, six months. And then take that and look at all the data points that these patients share and then go out and find new patients who have never heard about me before that share all of these same data points that my customers share. So it's really like a huge, hugely uh, valuable tool to be able to find a brand new audience that is really similar to your existing audience without really having to do any of the legwork. Yeah, that is really, really powerful because it really is a huge shortcut. Uh, even, even with cold advertising is because we know they're not all the way cold as far as we're taking some of the guesswork out by having that platform do some of the kind of correlation work for us and the bigger to your point why he mentioned a hundred people at least is the bigger the sample size the more accurate the lookalike audience can be so obviously if you have ten thousand email addresses or data points you upload they have ten thousand points of correlation to go about defining who those lookalike should be in that audience. So the more you got, the more accurate will, will be correct, right? Yeah, exactly right. And really your your uh, most most of your money, most of your conversions are gonna come from that warm audience or that hot audience segment. So it's really hard to get uh, a cold patient, somebody who's never heard about you before or and saw your ad for the first time and clicked on your ad to book an appointment. It's hard to get those people to actually follow through with the uh, full completion, the full valuable goal. But that cold audience member, once they engage with you, will be put into that warm audience segment and start seeing your warm ads. And that's where they've had enough education and they know enough about you to where they feel comfortable enough to book an appointment or to call the office to speak with somebody. So that's really like your your money maker right there. And, and remarketing kind of say, and a lot of listeners that they don't know kind of that term, they've seen it. Um, in, in real-time action, it's kind of when you go on a site, whether it's in the healthcare examples that we're giving or you're doing some shopping, say, on Etsy or somewhere else, and then all of a sudden that product or service that you're looking at is following you around on your social media. That's kind of what we're talking about with remarketing. And the pixels we're going to talk about in a little bit are what give you that ability. And again, those are kind of the lowest hanging fruit. And if you do it the right way, should be kind of the cheapest leads to generate because they've already done some of the legwork work by 
going on your site, going on your social, whatever it is, they've already interacted with you at some level. So you want to make sure that you're leveraging your marketing um, in these campaigns. Yeah. And I think that leads into the next point of the importance of ad variations, because too often, I think uh, we see people that just, you know, put up one or two ads and let them run for six months, which is the wrong thing to do. And then also to your point, with remarketing, the wrong way to do it is to continuously show the the same ad to people on four different websites for three months at a time. Uh, it becomes too monotonous and it kind of becomes a little bit creepy, honestly. So the, the better way to do it is to have like three or four different ads that you use to retarget people. That way they're not seeing the same ad for the next three months. They're seeing uh, variations of that. And the other important piece of that variation puzzle is the fact that there's a, there's a reason why that one ad variation didn't get them to convert. You know, maybe it wasn't the right messaging for them at the time. Maybe it wasn't the right pain point that they're going through. If you have multiple variations, you have a better chance of speaking to that specific customer's needs, wants, or desires. So multiple ad variations are, is another really big piece of the puzzle that you definitely want to make sure that you have set up. And I think that this is something that is wholly missed, even um, when, we, when we have people that we talk to about a potential partnership. I think that there's a lack of understanding of what a really well-optimized, um, really well-run social ad strategy should look like on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis. And so I'd love a little bit of insight kind of of what you and your team kind of answer the question, like how much work should be going into as far as uh, AB testing, new ad variations? Because a lot of people, even when we take over, whether it's search or social ads, we'll go in and see nobody's changed anything for like three weeks or six weeks or even longer. And like that's an immediate red flag of its own. So there should be a whole lot more kind of daily work and daily checking that should go into it, correct? Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of work when it boils down to it. Uh, I think Facebook and, and social networks and Google have done a really good job of making it seem really easy because that's how they make money by getting that's how they take people's money. money. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the easier they can make it seem, the more customers they can get yeah. to give them. Like money good old on smart ads. campaigns on Google ads. Well, we're just running smart campaigns like, wow, they'll take your money within for 15 minutes. Yeah, one of the biggest scams that's out there. And it's it's getting even worse too. It's getting even more automated. They're, one day, they're just going to want you to put, put your website in. And, and a credit it. card. Yeah, and a credit yep. card for put sure. a credit card and your website and we'll handle the rest. <laughs> yeah, the higher the credit card limit, the better. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's a, it's a real problem. And it's a lot of work to do. I mean, you really have to, you know, go in daily and see which ads performing better than others, analyze them, figure out, you know, why maybe this, this variation is performing better than this one. You got to look at your audiences, figure out which ones aren't working, why they aren't working, which ones you can, which new audiences you can go out there and target, what type of messaging these people are going to want to hear, which platforms or, or which channels, because each one of these platforms have different channels. Like with Facebook, you can do feed ads, you can do marketplace ads, you can do messenger ads. There's like 25 or 30 different channels that you can advertise just on Facebook alone. So you got to look at that. Um, 
look at locations, you know, which location or city or zip codes performing better than others, uh, just to name a few. So there's, there's a lot of work that goes into it uh, at the end of the day, and it's important to, to keep on it because, you know, it's not one of those set it and forget it things. I think it's also important. This is something that you taught me and it's something that we tell all of our practices is a lot of people also make rushed and rash decisions about what the data is saying too, as far as how long it really takes to get a program where we want it, at least how we run our agency. But um, anybody that's doing it is it's not an overnight thing. And I think a lot of people will set like a $15 budget and it's not working by the next day or within a week, they just shut everything down. And it's really, we're going to talk a little bit about how can, how we collect that data and everything. But I think that's another important thing to note too, is why as, as things continue to move forward, we want to continue to, to optimize and refine and refine, but we also want to make sure we're using a large enough data set to, to make smart enough decisions. And I think people jump to conclusions too quickly uh, before they have enough data back to make a decision and they just shut things down or say that it's not working. Yeah. Yeah. There's no way that, uh, us or any marketing company can can guarantee your results or tell you, you know, within a week, you're going to get this many leads because, you know, the, the reality is nobody knows. So you need to commit to, you know, a couple months at least of time that you're willing and money that you're willing to invest in something like this to give it a fair shot. Uh, we start off doing all of these things that we talked about, which really helps put your best foot forward. And that's kind of like all you can do. So you start with with what you think is going to work best. You 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 know, uh, dot all your eyes, cross all your teeth, and then you look at the results on a daily basis and adjust quickly. But it's all kind of relevant to budget because these sort of things you, you only get the data back depending on how you only get the data back as fast as the budget that you have. So if you're spending three bucks a day, you know it's going to take you probably a couple months to be able to get enough information back to where you can say, okay, turn this ad off. It's not working. Um, but if you're spending, you know, $50, $100 or more a day, you're going to get data back a lot quicker. So you'll be able to make faster decisions. For sure. And, and to your point, like no matter that we've been doing this for a long time and we have a lot of subspecialties or even say treatment or condition focuses that we've done kind of over and over again, uh, one good example is like a urology group that we're really honed in on building vasectomies out of. And vasectomies are really great because it's a very good direct-to-consumer style marketing because most guys either will talk to somebody who's had it done before or they're going to go online and it's an intimate thing and they're going to find uh, somebody near them that offers it. And even if we do that, which we've done, say, a hundred times over for different urology practices in different marketplaces to, to get them doing more and more vasectomies, it still looks a little bit different every time. Like we've got our historical data, we've got our wherewithal and our expertise, all these things going for us, but there's nuances in every single geographical area that come into play. Like say, some places are, say could, could the word free or free consultation could come off cheap uh, because it's a hiring community like Miami or LA. Like there's all these little things between wording and positioning and all of that that's still the data will tell you. And so it's not something that even if it's been done a hundred times, the hundred first time, it should look exactly the same and the success should be the same. All right. So I know we've covered a lot, but let's kind of keep moving and, and talk a little bit now that we've talked about 
kind of defining your persona, which platforms are out there, kind of the differences between social and search and defining and finding your audience is kind of the different ad types that are out there as well as the assets associated with them. So start kind of talking to us a little bit about some of the most common ad types that we're going to see uh, patients interacting with and that, that we're leveraging for, for our clients. Yeah. So uh, we could probably do three or four podcasts just about this one oh, topic because sure, there's, yeah. there's so many different uh, channels that you could run your ads on. But some of our favorites, uh, one of the, some of the things that we see work best, and then also some of the most common, one of them being story ads. So those could run on Facebook and Instagram. And those are those are those story ads that you see that are in portrait, uh, nine, nine by 16 uh, ratio size. And those are great for two reasons. One, they're extremely cheap, probably the cheapest ad that you can run on Facebook or Instagram. And also, well, I guess probably there's three reasons. Secondly, they can be really interactive because you can do videos on them and people engage with stories like crazy. Uh, and then thirdly, it's got a really easy barrier of entry. So it's got that call to action where you can just swipe up and land on the website. So it's not clicking on it and you know waiting for the page to load. It's a really simple uh, user interface, user experience type of thing where they just swipe up and people are used to that now uh, you know, with everything being so mobile. So, so, um, story ads on social work really, 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 really well for those three reasons. Excellent. And one of the other ones that we use a lot too is, is native lead generation and kind of what is, what is native lead generation as far as social media is concerned? Yeah. So, uh, it's kind of a newer feature. It's been out for a couple of years or so, um, on Facebook uh, what they offer you is the ability to collect somebody's data all within the Facebook platform. So never leaving it to go to your website to fill out the form on your website. It all happens right there. Uh, LinkedIn also offers this as well. And it's it's really great because uh, one of the big features is it will auto-populate the data for the form based on that person's profile information. So um, for example, you could do a webinar and advertise your webinar uh, with one of these native lead gen ads. And in order for somebody to sign up for your webinar, they've got to give you their information and then you email them the link, for example. So you run this ad, uh, somebody sees it, they click on the register button right there within the ad. It tells them a little bit about the webinar, uh, what they can expect. And then the next slide is the form submission, which is going to be you can put a bunch of different data collection points in there, uh, but some of the most common are obviously name, phone number, email, you can do business. So like what their uh, job title is, uh, you can do zip code or city, uh, a bunch of relevant information that uh, is obviously good to collect on people. Um, and then once they submit that, it just happens all on Facebook. Uh, so it's really, again, easier barrier of entry. And that's kind of the name of the game. Um, when it comes to advertising, you want to make it as targeted and as easy as possible for somebody to take the next step. For sure. Because the more steps that you have, the more clicks that they got to go through, the lower and lower and lower your, your conversion rates are going to get. And so it's really, really nice. This is something that we even use uh, for webinars, to your point, for the agency. It's because it's just so easy with native ad. The generation now is 
before you used to have to create an ad, they had to click on it, take them to a landing page where they read about the webinar, and then they'd have to fill in a registration form, and then they'd receive an email, and now it's literally, you can serve them an ad that they click on, their information auto-populates and they hit register. And it'll automatically integrate to the registration, um, and to your whatever webinar um, platform that you're using, like we use Easy Webinar. And what's great about that is it'll directly integrate, but if it doesn't, more than likely a tool like Zapier will allow you to kind of connect the Facebook native leads ads to whatever webinar platform or whatever it is in this case that we're talking about, whether you're putting your leads in your Google Sheet or you're having it come into your email. Zapier or somebody like, something like that should make it really easy to get all of that lead data out. Yeah, and so it's kind of a double-edged sword because the beauty of it is that it's so easy to do. It can happen in you know five or 10 seconds. Somebody could give you their information and they're happy, but it's such an easier barrier of entry that sometimes these people need more nurturing and more information. So we... Uh, That's a good something. point. So you kind of get the warm and fuzzies that you get rolling in these leads, but actually the lower the bar to get to the lower the hurdle rate, the potential less quality score the overall lead pool might have is kind of what you're talking about. Yeah, it could be the case. So, um, you know, those people might need more nurturing than say somebody who, you know, went through and landed on your landing page, went through your testimonials, looked at your content videos that you have up there. Uh, who really kind of know all about you, um, th that person would be more hot uh, to go back to our original point. So what we did with uh, one of our clients uh, was kind of this same native lead gen process, uh, but we put these um, users who were giving us our information into a nurture sequence. And we can talk a little bit more about that later on in the podcast. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. What with the native leads, I think it's a good point that you just brought up is, is being really kind of self-aware of what these leads might look like and that they're going to need kind of more nurturing, more, more nurturing, more of a trust exercise, more of a relationship building with you. So what types kind of offers or ads kind of work well in lead generation? The one that you brought up, for instance, we use quizzes because they were in the hormone space. And so we were going after women 45 and up in our geographical area. So we used a kind of a symptoms, symptom driven menopause quiz to uh, get, a, get a lot of leads. And we had incredible success. But again, just because they're filling out a menopause quiz on Facebook does not mean that they're ready to book an appointment, walk through the door, get their labs done, and become a patient. So what, what other types of ads work well? Because I think people jump all the way to the finish line of like buy now or book now and skip all of the let's date before we get married types of advertising or offers. Yeah. So anything that's valuable really makes a good lead generator. Something you, you like, I like to think of an email as a $20 bill. So, you know, you want to give somebody enough value that they would pay $20 for it. And that $20 in this That's case would be, would be their contact information. So it, it could, you know, it could run the gamut. Anything that would be valuable to your customer makes or your patient makes a great lead generator. It could be, uh, it could be webinars. It could be PDF. It could be quizzes. It could be uh, free consultations. Uh, anything that, you know, is worth, 
that 20 bucks that somebody wouldn't mind forking over. Yeah, I think that's a great point. How, how I always think about it is, is things, and this is general, not just in healthcare, but I think it's anything that makes your life easier, makes you healthier in this case, uh, which is could be uh, a doctor sharing a video of, of diet tips or ways to relieve back pain or whatever it may be, or um, a chiropractor showing um, a, re- a realignment technique that they offer, whatever it could be out there so that either um, uh, makes you happier, makes your life better, um, makes you healthier, or it saves you money. So it's straight up offer, like a 20, 20% off coupon or uh, something like that. I think those three are always good general rules of thumb to think about as far as what consumers or patients are looking for uh, and an easy end offer to get their information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And then comes your nurture sequence, which is a whole nother podcast in itself. For sure. So with that, I think that this is an age-old question that people always struggle with is what type ad works the best? Is it imagery? Is it graphical? Is it video? We hear so much about video over the last five years, or really is it a blend of kind of all of the above? So tell us a little bit about kind of what what's available and what we should be thinking about leveraging to get the most success out of our ad campaigns. Yeah. I mean, generally speaking, video is the way to go. It doesn't have to be full-blown production at all. It could be a lot of different things. Could be It, it kind of depends on your brand and your messaging and, and your audience at the end of the day. Uh, but, you know, speaking in general terms, video is kind of, kind of the golden nugget. Uh, you want to do that as much as possible. Graphics also work really well. Uh, you know, it really all kind of depends on, you know, your, how targeted you're being. Um, and if you're really speaking to that person's wants, needs, and desires. Uh, but, you know, to answer the question, I would say do as much video as you can in your advertisements. And I think it's a, a great point that you just, you just brought up. I've done videos, we've done podcasts about it. Kelly talks a lot about it as well with all the content creations she does is I think people get all consumed when they think about the process of creating video. It's going to be so expensive. It's going to take forever. And there really is a balance between quality and quantity and honestly, purely just doing it too. Because if it's going to, if, if you're going to be stuck, then just do it. And then you can always get better. Because we, I look at uh, even the first podcast that we did first now from a quality standpoint, same with the first videos that we did and the new video studio that we're putting together now, it always gets better. It always continues to get refined. It always gets easier and scalable, but you just got to get started. And I think the beautiful thing nowadays too is most content is consumed and you see because it's always whether the new feature rollouts is what gets the largest reach on every platform like LinkedIn introducing kind of the stories feature that's going to get prominent impression and reach compared to a regular post on LinkedIn because they want high adoption rates. They want people using that feature. And the same thing goes for stories or TV on Instagram and Facebook. And that is the way that people are used to consuming a lot of their video and photography information. The the good thing and the benefit about that, all of that, 99% of it is shot raw and straight from the phone. So that's what people are used to from a quality standpoint. So I think gone are the days where you had to have this huge production and only the large people like Coca-Cola and Home Depot could serve good, effective video ads on social. Because I think the more the, the raw, the authentic, the 
kind of shot in real time, bringing them into the practice style stuff really works better than, than all of the other stuff you can put together and then you slap some lipstick on it, so to speak, as far as put a call to action at the end or a lower third, something like that. And you've got something that can be just a home run. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, user-generated content is surged and it's one of the most effective way to advertise nowadays. I think the big deal is, uh, you know, people have had ad fatigue because every, you know, three or four posts on your Facebook or your Instagram is an ad. So as soon as people see that within that split second that the quality is, you know, TV production, then they automatically know it's an ad. So that right there, just, you know, they skip your ad and two seconds or less because they already know. So when you, um, you know, utilize like what would natively be seen on that platform uh, in terms of the styling of your ad or your content, you know, fit the bill for that platform. So people, you know, don't automatically skip it. And if you can catch their attention, then they'll continue to watch it. That's a great, uh, great point. Something that really feels organic. I mean, I even know, like I've got my my like personal email, which right now is filled with like 500 like Black Friday and holiday style emails. But what's interesting, even even bringing up an email example, which I think is very, very true in the ad side, is I can delete emails in less than one second, like going through and deleting all the advertising emails. And you can immediately tell the difference between the organic one. Like say it's like your utility bill or whatever it is, they always look different than like a general advertising. And that's kind of to your point. If you can do that same thing in your news feed on your social with an organic feel up to your ad or your video, you're going to get people to stop and engage a whole lot more. It feels like this production and it feels like this big ad. And I think that that's, that's a really important to remember when you're, when you're doing advertising. Yeah. And I think people respect that too. You know, if, if they watch your ad, you know, even if they don't even align with your product, they, they're going to give it props. You know, they're going to say, Hey, you know, that was really good. They did a great job rather than, you know, they wasted my time for 10 seconds because, you know, this is just your plain old generic TV ad that you would see. So, you know, I think it kind of just gives your brand some better voice and just kind of makes you more relevant and makes you seem like, you know, what's going on. And you brought it up, you hit it um, when you mentioned user-generated content. My head almost went immediately to because we talk so much about it without getting too far in the weeds, but just kind of another side note is the more, and make sure you do it from a compliance standpoint, have them sign a release, but the more you can get on-fire patients as ambassadors, so patient video testimonials or them telling their story, they're doing the marketing for you. Because nothing builds trust with a patient faster than another patient saying. It's the same thing kind of marketing to doctors because it's obviously our major market that we target and having a physician give a recommendation of our services and what we do is going to go way better and engage another provider or medical director than anything that we could say about how good we are in advertising. The same thing is for patients. It's patients trust patients. And that's why reviews are so important. So if you can get patients involved in your advertising process by creating user-generated content. It's what Smile Direct Club, all the Smile Direct Club ads are literally people smiling and showing how much, how, how, how much improved their smile is in the six months by showing before and afters and then sharing a little bit of user-generated content about how happy they are. Yeah, exactly. You know, people just want to see that it works. You know, at the end of the day, I think a lot of the times marketing becomes way too cute and nobody 
uh, reads an advertisement for the fun of it. You know, they're looking at an advertisement because they're interested in what that is offering them. So, you know, tend to shy away from the cute and the clever types of ads because, you know, nobody's reading it for fun. They need your ad needs to sell somebody. It needs to catch their attention and then it needs to sell them. So how do you do that? You know, people just care that their smile is going to get straighter. It's going to look better. They're going to, you know, feel more empowered and beautiful and it can do it within three months and it's cheaper than buying braces. You know, those are, those are the main points people care about. So tell them all that and tell it to them quick and, you know, use real stories. You know, why not? For sure. All right. So now we've kind of, we've been talking about it, but I think it may be one of the most important points to drive home. And that is really the tracking of your campaigns and what people are needing to do. Again, we talked about, I think this was one of the biggest common mistakes that we hit on in the last podcast that we did. So after this one wraps, definitely go listen to that because that we, we talk even in more detail than we will today about these common tracking issues. But talk a little bit about kind of the major tracking things that people need to be doing, whether it's tracking calls, the tracking apparatuses that these social platforms that you alluded to earlier and anything else that we can kind of be aware of. Yeah. So you obviously want to do your valuable actions. So you want to do your form submissions, your phone calls. Uh, you want to do booked appointments. Um, it becomes a little bit hard sometimes when you're using third-party platforms to book online appointments. Uh, but you know, there's usually a way around things. It's just kind of more specific or custom situation. So you just want to think about it in terms of you know your valuable goals. You know, and track all of those. Um, you just want to make sure that it's set up properly, and you don't really want to dilute your conversions uh, with things that don't really matter because a lot of times we'll see that. So usually what happens is it's not the, you know, the practice owner or the marketing person at the practice that set it up incorrectly. It's just that, you know, somewhere down the line, a person that spends three minutes on a page got considered a conversion when it's not necessarily a conversion. It's a valuable thing to know, but you don't want that to be considered a, a conversion because that person didn't you know, do anything valuable for your business. Uh, so that's kind of some of the things that we run into most commonly. We see that, you know, things that aren't really the end all be all conversion, the most valuable thing that somebody can do. Uh, we kind of find that those are usually tracked in some sort of way and they're skewing the data. So I would just say as they, as the uh, person who cares about this sort of thing for your practice, uh, just double check, you know, once a month or so and make sure that, if everything is still tracking or, you know, we do this obviously for all of our clients. Uh, but if you, if you're not working with a marketing company, kind of have to do it yourself, but go in and just make sure that everything is still firing properly. Cause sometimes things get broken, you know, it's the internet it just happens sometimes. And also you want to make sure that things are not improperly being tracked. Uh, really kind of the, the two big points to hit on. And I think we talked about them a little bit earlier, but if you're listening to the podcast and you're not sure, go check. And when you get done listening, please make sure that you do it. Is the Facebook pixel or the uh, a pixel is essentially a lot a script or a kind of a piece of code, so to speak, that is put into generally the head of your site, and then you may put it into a couple different, say, key landing pages that you want to track particular events on. But what we're talking about today is the Facebook pixel. Uh, the same goes with Instagram. LinkedIn has a pixel as well that. Make sure 
I think of all of them that the Facebook pixel is on your website when you get done listening to this podcast. And here's why. Because if you're not doing ads today, you do not know what six months or 12 months or even two years down the road looks like. And you will wish that you had that on there collecting data and information for people like us when we enter the conversation. Because there's nothing kind of more painful or sad when you see that there's been three, five, seven years of completely missed data just for lack of not putting that on there because it helps so much with what, what can be done. And if you're not doing it and you are running ads, you're just running completely blind. So go and make sure there's a little Chrome extension that's called the Facebook Pixel Helper. And that will literally just tell you if it's on there and it's active. But definitely make sure of probably all of them, the Facebook one being the most important. And even if today you're not running ads, you don't know what tomorrow will hold. So I recommend that you start today by getting the Pixel on because it will be a huge help down the road when you ahead of it. And the other side that uh, that Nick alluded to too is call tracking. Is that gets missed a lot? Obviously, depending on if your if your goals warrant it, as far as what you want out of your ads. But if you are doing something that's a direct response, like book an appointment or call us, that kind of thing, make sure that you're tracking your calls. And there's a lot of different call tracking solutions that are out there, and then a lot of agencies like ourselves obviously offer it as well. But make sure that you're kind of tracking all of the particulars as far as what the success of that campaign should be. And then culture kind of culture is a big deal. Yeah. Call it tracking. Is. Yeah. So as um, we kind of wrap start wrapping up, one thing that I think will kind of close the loop is we've talked a lot really end to end about social strategy, what platforms, um, different types of mediums and, and assets to to have, how to track it. But really, I think the, one of the final things that gets missed is kind of closing that loop with nurture campaigns. And Nick, you, you talked about it a little bit earlier in a case study that we had, but I use a statement that I've, I've used a lot in webinars and, and uh, speaking over the years is kind of, you nurtured them, uh, you paid for them, nurture them, don't let leads die on the vine. And what we mean is kind of in a perfect world, if you get 100 leads, 30 of them, so 30%, and this is a really good number, I'm being very optimistic, 30%, so 30 of those 100 may book appointments. And generally, it's going to be less than that, maybe even 20%. What happens to those other 70 to 80 people that already express some level of interest in what you're doing or the offer that you have, like we've talked about on this podcast? What should happen to those, Nick? Because all too often, they end up just essentially dying, and it's all of this money that's been left on the table in either potential conversions or just ads that, or leads that were wasted. Yeah, that's the biggest, it's the lowest hanging fruit, you know, all the time. You know, you've already invested in these people. They already learned about you. That's that cold audience segment. Uh, so they already learned about you, then they're warm, and then we never hear from them again. And then we know from our earlier conversation that, you know, you really make your most money on those warm audiences because, you know, they've already learned about you. So there's a few different ways to retarget those people. One of them, obviously, like we've been talking about is using retargeting ads. You can do that on a bunch of different platforms. You can utilize Google display ads to show them uh, on different websites. You can do the social media stuff, obviously, like we were talking about. Email marketing is a big deal. Even you know going into a CRM system to where you you know put these people into um, different email nurture sequences, or you just have a sales pipeline 
and you have somebody in the office, you know, keep in contact with these people, uh, you know, once a month or so and just try to answer their questions, figure out, you know, if they need any more information, uh, that could even be a way to kind of nurture your, your, your leads as well. It is, like I said, the lowest hanging fruit and really kind of the best place to, uh, to start, you know, kind of turning, turning the corner on your advertising. For sure. And I think a really good example is the one we were talking about, kind of the menopause quiz that we had. So as we mentioned, is just because somebody, and we got, I think the first 60 days, something like almost 400 women within a 10 mile radius of the practice filled out these quizzes. And so we were getting them for maybe a dollar or two a piece. But again, that can give you warm and fuzzies. But just because somebody filled out a quiz is a big leap between that and them booking an appointment, coming into the office, getting lab work done, and and getting something from a solution set standpoint done inside of the office. So what we did is we would put them into nurture sequences if they didn't go ahead and take that that step and book. And what we mean by that is they were in an 8 to 12 email nurture sequence that they would get over a three-month period. And it would start kind of fast and heavy. So every few days and then one a week and then one every other week. And what we're really doing is we're working on building trust with them, building a relationship with them by creating value. In this case, by teaching them more about why they have night sweats, uh, what they can do to start alleviating some of the symptoms of menopause. So really kind of building ourselves as a thought leader and a trusted resource for them with what they may be struggling with in menopause, continuing to deliver that information before delivering a hard ask um, once or twice in that email sequence. And what it does is it continues to warm people up and it ultimately gets them to convert. Another good example is if you're running some ads for booked appointments um, and people aren't getting all the way over the hump, you put them into a nurture sequence. And so again, going back to my point, if you've got 10 leads that come in, two of them book appointments, so you have a 20% conversion rate um, on your uh, lead generation campaigns that you have. Well, if you put the other eight, that other 80% into a nurture campaign and two more of those over a one week or one month or one year period end up converting, your real campaign conversion rate was 40%. That is a huge difference between the initial 20% and it's why nurture sequencing and retargeting to this point can be so powerful because it can double, triple, quadruple it can substantially magnify the end result conversion rates you see on your campaigns and ultimately the return on the investment that you're making into those ads. It can literally take something from semi-successful to wildly successful, and it may take six months and it may take a year, uh, but you don't know it if you don't retarget them. Um, and a lot of people just let it fall flat. It's like, we're just going to throw money and throw money and throw money and the people that we get through the door that are end up just, if they want to make a decision, they can walk through and do it, but don't leave it there. Get them into some type of retargeting and nurture sequencing because every one of those people that you do end up getting back through the door is just increasing the overall success of your campaigns. Yeah, uh, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, you know, if you don't have a, a retargeting strategy in place, whether that's through email or ads or combination of both, then really what you're asking people to do is make an impulse purchase, you know, sign up with you the very first time 
they heard about you, which we all know, you know, doesn't happen unless yeah, exactly. it's for, yeah, unless it's for a pack of gum, you know, at the grocery <laughs> store, man. Yeah. But you know, with with healthcare and you know choosing doctors and practices, you know, sometimes the the purchasing cycle, uh, the the decision that somebody makes to work with you, you know, is a long time. You know, months on end. Sometimes they might not be experiencing, uh, you know, uh, strong enough conditions or symptoms to even be ready yet. So you really kind of have to stay top of mind and and be in front of them multiple times and continue to Justin's point, be a thought leader and solve their pain points and offer benefits and proof and testimonials to be able to, you know, earn their trust and win them as a patient. And, you know, it's, it's a beautiful thing uh, in, in our world because never before was this type of thing available. You know, you would see ads in a newspaper and, you know, you never really had a way to communicate with that person again. Uh, so it's, it's really a, a new kind of world. and, and uh, you know, you can really find a lot of success in it if you do it the right way. For sure. And now it does give you the ability and the sophistication long-term to kind of glue all of this stuff together and have a really omni-channel approach to use organic content on social media to get people through your website. And because you have these pixels and tracking apparatuses we were talking about today, then you can start serving them ads on social media or using display ads and get them back through the door and start delivering them email information or webinars. I mean, there really is, you can have a broad reaching omni-channel approach to kind of follow people through the patient journey and deliver value at every step of the way and then ultimately convert them. And that's what's really great nowadays is, is unlike ever before, you can reach through devices, you can reach across mediums and you have so many different things at your disposal that used to cost hundreds of thousands or hundreds of millions of dollars to be able to pull off. And now you can do it for really pennies on the dollar to reach new patients. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Nick. I always love having you on. And hopefully the, I'm sure the listeners got a lot of really valuable insights because I know that this is, this is something that they're always looking for is how to better leverage social advertising and advertising in general to, to reach new patients and not waste kind of money and resources and valuable time in the process. So thanks for coming on and joining us and uh, giving us a little bit of your expertise. Yeah, no problem, man. I appreciate you having me on. I always love talking about this stuff. I could talk about it for hours. So <laughs> thanks again. Absolutely. And until next time, thanks for listening. All right. Thank you for listening to today's latest episode of the Patient Convert Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and review on your favorite podcast platform. We are on Apple, iTunes, Google, Stitcher, and Spotify, or you can sign up to receive the latest episode via email. Just check it out on my agency website or my personal website. And if you are looking for more amazing healthcare marketing information or just to engage, check us out at entropy.com. And for any of my amazing physician liaisons out there interested in growing their physician referrals or learning the strategies that it takes to build highly engaged physician referral networks. Check out my website, kellynot.com, where I have free webinars, free downloads, and of course, my online physician liaison training course, Physician Liaison University. And as always, I'm a huge believer in connecting, engaging, and supporting one another. And the best way we can do that is networking. And I always, always connect with you guys on social media. And one of my biggest social media platforms is LinkedIn. So feel free to connect with me there on LinkedIn or Instagram or Twitter at Kelly Knott. And thank you guys again for listening to the Patient Convert Podcast with your host, Kelly Knott.